Welcome to the Path and Focus podcast, where we record ourselves building a wildfire technology company. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowers, a software developer turned entrepreneur turned air quality nerd. And I'm your host, Kayleen McCullough, a former wildland firefighter turned software developer. And today we have with us a guest, uh, Chris Foster. Hey there. Um, so yeah, you you both know me, but for the rest of the audience, uh, my name is Chris Foster. I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Two Story Robot. And you also have a background in machine learning. I do. I did my uh, master's degree in machine learning and computational neuroscience. It's also been a little bit of a hobby of mine. I live down here in Victoria, BC, and I'm the organizer of the Victoria Machine Learning Meetup. And we try to use it in our work whenever we can. Uh, I like to use it lots outside of work as well. And yeah, I also have an academic background in it as well. What's a computational neuroscientist? Computational neuroscience is, uh, you can imagine a Venn diagram. And on one side, you have traditional neuroscience. And on the other circle, you have computer science and computational neuroscience is this sweet spot in the middle where we try and apply uh, computers and software and algorithms to solve problems in neuroscience. Specifically, we try to solve challenging things um, like, can we use machine learning to better understand the way the brain works? This is sort of a, a new area. Uh, there's lots of exciting research going on there that is helping us better understand how the brain works. Just out of curiosity, was that your goal? to going into your master's program was specifically neuroscience? I wanted to do something interesting when I went and did my master's degree. Uh, just just like a two-story robot, I, I find that I can become fascinated with almost any domain once it becomes, here is how we apply software and computer science to solve problems in that domain. So, so I like solving problems, and I sort of became fascinated with neuroscience and primarily the same way that we do by building products for different domains, I kind of consider myself using computer science and machine learning to solve problems in neuroscience and learn more about neuroscience. So uh, I liked it the same way that I grow to like any domain that we work in. I didn't specifically hunt out neuroscience so much as I met with a whole bunch of professors at the University of Victoria and kind of chose the one that, that I felt we were going to work best together and I was going to be able to learn the most. And her area happened to be neuroscience. I love that. You picked the person first and then figured out what, like, what you were going to do. Uh, I love that so much. <laughs> I think that's how everyone should do their master's degree. Most people going into their master's are not really sure what they want to work on, but they know they want to do a master's. So in that case, I recommend choosing the person and then they will guide you through their research area and they'll show you all the interesting problems and the hard problems and and help you find what what kind of resonates with you in that space so that's so cool it feels a little bit like how we came to be doing wildfire stuff <laughs> like we just we together all like working with each other and the problem that seemed to come up was uh was wildfire and and I mean there's a bunch of there's a bunch of background that leads into that too but um, it does feel a lot more people first. So we have this app that we've built that is almost ready to release. Um, Kayleen, what do we have left to do on that? We've got a few little fixes and tweaks, right? Yeah, we're updating our algorithm for how we calculate the restriction messages. A couple of just visual bugs need to be fixed and then attaching our terms of service. Those are kind of three main pieces that are left to put together before we can share it. Yeah, we're hoping that we can launch that 
Ooh. Next, this week or next week? Uh, I believe next Wednesday. Okay, cool. So yeah, like Keely mentioned, one of the things that we're trying to fix is we, we're calculating what work restrictions people have imposed on them based on the history of the fire danger rating. But the fire danger rating is something that the goal is to calculate that based on weather data. And that's that's how you calculate that, that fire danger rating is you take all the weather data basically from the beginning of the season. So way back in the spring sometime, um, every day we accumulate all this weather information and you calculate that and eventually come up with a, an indice that converts into a danger rating. And so one of our problems was that we found that occasionally data is missing when we need it. Sometimes it's only one piece of data, like we we need the data at a certain hour and it's not there. Um, and sometimes it's longer stretches of time. And what we had thought we could do was use machine learning to fill that in and came and chatted with you and you said no, um, kind of took took our... <laughs> I didn't say no. I, I suggested that maybe it wasn't the most optimal use of your time at this stage. Which, I mean... When we're trying to think of like early stage, what we're trying to do as a product, uh, as a product team, trying to build this thing, um, uh, not optimal <laughs> is a nice way of saying, yeah, we maybe shouldn't do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's an almost entirely the product person in me, the machine learning person in me wants to tell you to go nuts and dig into this problem and apply machine learning like crazy. But the product person in me wants to be a little bit of a realist. So the specific problem of we have some weather data that might be missing. And we need to, uh, the word is not extrapolate, the word is interpolate. Yeah, interpolate. Extrapolate is when you have data and you want to continue beyond the bounds of that data. And interpolation is when you have a hole in your data and you want to fill that hole. Right, yeah. It's actually sort of filling in those gaps. So interpolation is filling in that missing bit of data, right? We've got a weather station, we're missing the temperature reading for noon on Thursday. Um, interpolation will help us find it. Um, but would finding, you know, the temperature reading for five kilometers north, which happens to be the midpoint between two weather stations, would that be considered interpolation or would that be, would, would be extrapolating data at that point? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure I totally know the answer. Um, my definitions of interpolation and extrapolation are almost entirely just from how I've seen them practically used. I don't think I know the formal definition, but I would almost consider it to depend on like what do you consider the bounds of your data, right? Do you consider the bounds of your data to be, is is a point that you have no weather station, is that beyond the bounds of your data? You could consider that extrapolation, right? But if you consider a 2D map and you have this rectangle on the map and you only have some data at some points, then you're kind of interpolating within the bounds of your data in some sense. So I, I think you could almost make an argument for using either phrase. So we have this problem of there's data that occasionally is not there. And we would like it to be there because we need it in order to calculate. Uh, all of the calculations require fairly consistent historic data. And if it's not there, it totally, totally falls down. Um, so we thought, yeah, machine learning would work. So why doesn't it make sense? So you said it doesn't. Product person in you says it doesn't. But like, why not? I think you could totally use machine learning for this problem. I think there's an interesting application of machine learning in there. But it's sort of a research problem, right? And the question is kind of from a product perspective um, and also from a machine learning perspective. I'm saying from a product perspective, uh, but from a machine learning perspective, a common thing to do is to try and use the simplest model that you can to solve a problem. Because any model that is more complex than necessary is just adding additional overhead 
to try and develop that model, to try and monitor that model, to understand that model, to put that model into production. You're increasing the complexity and the overhead. So if a more simple model is going to meet your requirements, you should use that more simple model. So that, that's one aspect of it. An additional aspect is, um, so say you have these holes in your data and you want to develop an algorithm to kind of smooth over it, or you want to extrapolate into areas that you might not otherwise be able to measure because there's no weather station there. You're going to want like something to compare against, right? So we know in some cases we have our ground truth data, which is going to be the actual measurements that we do have. And we know we can take those out of the data set and then we can take a model and we can interpolate over that and we can see how did that compare with the actual value that was there. But for some of your areas, like where you don't have stations, that's a little bit harder to actually know for sure. You can take stations out of your data entirely and see how effective your model does there. So there's a way of sort of trying to do that. But no matter what you do, you're going to want to compare against ground truth data, but you're also going to want to compare against other approaches, right? So the the other ways that we had talked about doing it that you had said were suggested by some of the documentation or some of the experts in this space was to use the the average of the stations around it or to use the average of the points around it, right? So that's that's one model. That's a very simple model, but that is a model, just like a machine learning model is a model. So you have to actually compare these two. So if the first way is actually sufficient for your needs, then I recommended just starting there because you kind of have to build the first way anyway to know if what you're doing with machine learning is actually any better. So it's sort of a function of if the first way meets your requirements, it's probably not the most critical thing for your product right now. If, you, if your product was a weather data filling service, then I would say absolutely machine learning should be the primary goal here. But if that's not your primary goal, then I would say take the more simple model get your app to a functional state and get it tested with real users and then come back and be like, okay, now is this the most important problem that we have? Maybe we can improve on this with machine learning, right? It's an interesting point that you bring up. Like if our, if our goal was to fill in weather data that changes our approach. Um, and I think it's worth examining a little bit because one of our goals is around filling in weather data and um, making that access easier and more fluid. Yeah. So I c again, I can, I can completely see why you would want to use machine learning for this. And I think there is a route for machine learning in this product in lots of areas, like in filling weather data, but maybe in lots of other interesting ways as well. But I think it's maybe a little bit down the line from when we first talked. Um, and when we first talked, the priority was, how do we fill this data because we need this data to be filled to be able to do these calculations at all. And once you've built that, I do think that leaves a really interesting opportunity for let's come back to this. Maybe this is now the most important thing for us to work on. So at what point does the effort of machine learning make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. It's hard to know what you're getting into in advance with the machine learning research project. I try to mentally categorize things into one of three camps. One is uh, open research where basically you're, you're talking more like academic level research. No one has really explored this or tried to do this, and it's unclear if this is even a problem for machine learning. And then the other area is a sort of problem that maybe there's been some research in academia. Maybe some people have made some progress on some papers. Maybe there's some interesting results on some test data, but no one knows if this actually is productizable. No one knows if you can use this at a scale that actually makes sense for an application. So that's a productization category. The challenge there is how do we take this research and adapt it for our product. And then the third category is solved problems. 
that's things that you can basically go to the internet or a whole bunch of other companies out there and you can just sign up for a service and you can make queries against their service and they've already built the model for you that does exactly what you need. So Amazon offers some stuff like that. They offer some computer vision APIs. If you have photos and you need to find faces in it, you can use their service to do it. Or you can go to any of the online models and just download those models and use those models. Where you're sitting is going to be either in the first or the second category. So what I would probably recommend is biting off a little bit of a time to like dig into it and try and get some more accurate estimates, just like we might do with traditional software. If you're really unsure what it would be, you can do what's called a spike where you say, all right, we're going to spend so and so much time on this. And then that will hopefully give us a better estimate of what is left to do or how much extra time it will be to do this properly. And here's how we would recommend doing it, right? Kind of explore this space, see what papers are out there. People have done something similar, talk to experts, see if you can find anyone who's working on something similar and get an idea if it's problem in category one or in category two. I like that way of thinking about it. It's helpful to understand uh, the problem space a bit. The approach that we have essentially decided on here is to, is to take your suggestion, which is to just try and solve this without machine learning. And the nice thing I think I like about that is that we do have a lot of data that we can make that approach really easy to validate. So if we're missing an hour and we have the hour before and the hour after, we just find the midpoint between those. That's a super simple approach, presumably pretty easy to develop, also very easy to validate and test to see if it works because we've got all that history and we can just start yanking data and saying like, does this work for this point? Does this work for this point? And get a sense of it. And maybe that's maybe that's good enough. But then there's other cases, you know, like Haley mentioned, where there is no weather station. There's no one out there collecting it, but we're very curious to know what's the weather doing in this remote location of BC and can we use the surrounding weather data and other information to try and interpolate that or extrapolate that, whatever the case may be. Do you have any thoughts on some of those misconceptions or oversimplifications that people tend to have around machine learning? Because like we came into this and I'll quote Paige on it on this, but like, let's just rub some machine learning on it. And that's our that was our approach. And we were a little bit defeated <laughs> to know that we can't just do that. Um, and I feel like I feel like people and when I say people, companies, um, tends to advertise machine learning and AI a little bit more aggressively than they need to. But yeah, what are, what are some of your thoughts on on uh, some of these misconceptions that people have? Yeah, it's an interesting time right now. The industry is going through a bit of a shift where there has been so much progress over the last decade or two, just, just incredible progress, that it's certainly become a bit of a buzzword. And in, in the most formal definition, machine learning is technically any algorithm that learns from data and then makes better decisions as a result of that data. But people have different definitions of what that means practically. So so some people that maybe focus more on the advanced techniques like neural networks, they might consider more simple stuff that, that by all technical definitions is technically machine learning, such as linear regression or logistic regression. Um, those are more simple methods that uh, some people working on neural networks might not consider that machine learning. Right. And then by other means, there's also the marketing angle where some companies might use the phrase machine learning when they intend to implement a machine learning product, or they have implemented a very basic machine learning product that they, they would like to be machine learning. But a lot of the times they don't realize it's actually a really hard problem to solve. So there's quite a few startups that, that claim that they're using machine learning, and they end up in a few years just being driven by humans behind computers that are doing all the operations behind the scenes because they're really challenging problems to solve with machine learning. And it takes a long time to actually build that machine learning. And 
some of it might actually be in camp one where there are research problems. And it's unclear if you can actually do that with machine learning. And sometimes the answer turns out to be no. And then uh, some of these companies are in strange spots where they've kind of marketed their product as machine learning. And they've maybe built a business model that may or may not be sustainable on on humans doing the operations behind the scenes. And then they have to figure out what to do with that product now. Yeah. I'm actually a fan of, of companies starting with humans to power some of these things so that they can prove out the... Um problem a little bit better and to know if what they're trying to do is worth solving. Um, but but yeah, it gets your point. Um, it would be like us saying like, hey, we've, we've got this weather interpolation thing uh, that's machine learning, but really we just averaged two points together. <laughs> yeah, totally. That would be another example. I think for us, for Beacon specifically, and for some of the other things that we have planned, full-on machine learning to predict weather is not our goal. Like that's not that's not what we're trying to do. Um, and, 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 you know, we've talked with enough meteorologists to know that it's possibly not even achievable anyways. Um, but we've talked with a lot of folks in a lot of different industries and, you know, machine learning is, is kind of scary. Like there's this sentiment that robots are going to come for our jobs. And that's, that's not something that we're trying to do. Like we are not trying to replace the role that a meteorologist plays uh, in wildfire prediction and wildfire suppression. Um, but there is there is maybe some opportunities to help them out, right? Like in these cases where like the weather station went down and there's just some missing data, well, maybe we can use machine learning to fill that in temporarily while either the weather station comes back up or um, like just some tools to aid in aid in the in the meteorologists and other people that depend on this data to do their jobs better. That's our goal. Trying to amplify people's jobs, not remove them. I think that's also the most common way you see machine learning used in these sort of applications. I, I, I can think of some examples where perhaps it has taken up an entire role that may have belonged to a person. But most of the time when people are using machine learning, it's to help some, make someone more efficient at their job rather than replace them in their job. And I, I think that makes sense here. Like climate models are incredibly complex the idea of dropping in a neural network and replacing a whole complex climate model would uh, be be nice, but is is pretty far away right now. And I think more likely what you're going to see is is perhaps like a climate model can be a useful input to a neural network along with actual ground truth data from a station and then potentially also some data from some people that are out there and maybe have a little bit more inaccurate readings. Like they, they check the wind, like you've mentioned, Jonathan, by licking your thumb and putting it in the air or whatever. And a neural network can potentially learn to take different disparate data and connect it together in a way that's more accurate than any of those independent sources, but that's not replacing the value of any of those sources independently. That also ties into like what we are discussing, which is that it's really important that you know your data really well. Machine learning is never a replacement for actually understanding your data really well. A lot of people think they have data and they'll just like layer machine learning over top of it and everything will come out great on the other end. But in developing a proper machine learning algorithm, you have to very closely understand all of your data to the degree that it's definitely not a shortcut over what might be a more simple model of just like averaging between two points. It's not an excuse to to not have to understand or try it more traditional ways for working with your data. It's it's more work to do it properly because you run the risk of not understanding what your data is doing and running into issues. So our takeaway is to stop trying to find shortcuts and to just dive in and learn our data. That's fair. That's good advice. 
I mean, I, I like that approach anyways. Like, I think that's how we are approaching our product development too, right? Like not just having conversations with people to understand their problems, but also like have conversations with the data, understand what's going on. Let's see, you know, how can we understand things? And we're, I mean, we're already starting to form a little bit more understanding of the data now that we're using it a lot more. Like I've started to understand more of the um, the landscape of fire risk in BC because I'm just sort of looking at it all the time and following all sorts of interesting people on Twitter now. So I like that. I like that approach a lot. Awesome. So how can people find you on the internet if they were interested in finding you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at at Chris Fosterelli. I also have a website, which is fosterelli.co, where I blog about some machine learning related things and other times things that have nothing at all to do with machine learning. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's the episode. By the time this comes out, our Beacon app will be released and, and everyone can check that out. Thanks for joining us, Chris. It was lovely to have you on. Yeah, of course. Happy to join. I've been enjoying listening. So you've been listening to the Path and Focus podcast. Find and review us wherever you get podcasts. We'd love if you shared it with someone. And we'll talk to you next week. 